Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. We are exploring uh, yoga as the practice that it is for spiritually conscious living, not just asana, not just postures or as it is popularly known as exercise, um, but okay. a philosophy. I have lost signal. A philosophy for spiritually conscious living today. And uh, today we're going to be looking at... I cannot hear you. We're having a thunderstorm here in Texas. So... So we're, uh, our guest is in Texas. She's having a little thunderstorm coming in right in the middle of um, our startup today. So just be patient with us as we get her back. And um, we're going to be talking about self-compassion today and uh, drawing from her book, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. <clears throat> How does the practice of self-compassion transform our lives and positively affect our world? We can learn to give ourselves the same caring support we would give to a friend. When we're critical of ourselves, we we tend to look for a way to blame others for our shortcomings or try to hide um, those parts of ourselves or our personalities that we don't like or we're not comfortable with. So with self-compassion, we can open our hearts and we begin to look more kindly on all aspects of our personality and uh, we're, we're able to better connect to others to see clearly and with kindness um, enables us to choose a different way that leads to healthier, happier, more fulfilling life and more peaceful interactions in the world. So we're going to be looking at this practice of self-compassion, how it connects to yoga as a way of spiritually conscious living, and how it can support healing for ourselves and for our world. We're joined today um, from the thunderstorms in Texas uh, with Dr. Kristen Neff, who is Associate Professor in Human Development at the University of Texas in Austin. And she first established self-compassion as a field of study a decade ago. And as I mentioned, she's author of a really wonderful book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. She gives lectures and conducts workshops internationally on self-compassion. You can find out more about her at her website, selfcompassion.org. Welcome, Dr. Neff. I'm delighted you're here on the Yoga Hour today. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm sorry about these Texas thunderstorms. They aren't very cooperative. Hopefully you can hear me okay. <laughs> it's it's great. We have a, a good solution now. The sound is great. So before okay. we start our conversation on self-compassion, let's just take a moment to center ourselves right in the middle of uh, thunderstorms and uh, te- <laughs> technical difficulties. It's just the yes. nature of life. <laughs> Before we begin to explore this topic of self-compassion, what it really is and how we can live more compassionately every day, Let's begin by connecting to ourselves and just doing that with our breath. So in this moment, you can hear the music and begin to be aware of your breath. And as you breathe in, simply feel that you're drawing your attention within for a moment, letting go of externals and feeling like You are diving within into the infinite ocean of divine consciousness within you. And with your out breath, just relaxing, letting go. Breathing in, diving within. Breathing out, letting go. And as we breathe in and imagine or feel that we are diving in to this infinite ocean of divine consciousness within us, the infinite self, the ground of being, however you think of it, let us remember or reflect how that ground of being is the ground of being of every person of every creature of all of life that as we connect to ourselves we are connecting to everyone as we open our hearts in kindness in peaceful awareness we are connecting to the heart of all so with each breath out let go of any perceived ideas of separation. Simply feel the peace that pervades everyone and everything at the depth of existence. And now let's intend to share that peace, a little tiny piece of peace that we have touched in this moment. Let's intend to share that peace with all that we meet. Bring that peace, that clarity into contemplating self-compassion. Dr. Neff, in, in your book, you, you of course first begin your exploration of self-compassion by looking at compassion itself. And of course, on the path of yoga, we, we connect compassion to ahimsa practice as our first yama, the first, the foundation, the first, um, restraint for living a conscious life and and people think of ahimsa nonviolence as of course you know not harming or hurting but its fulfillment is really uh, compassion it really is love paramahansa yogananda wrote compassion towards all beings is necessary for divine realization for god himself is overflowing with this quality those with a tender heart can put themselves in the place of others feel their suffering and try to alleviate it so let's begin with hearing from you you know how you define uh, self-compassion and uh, how it 
relates to compassion overall, compassion for others. Research on self-compassion. I knew I needed to come up with a very clear definition so then I could measure it and and start research on it. And really at that point, not much had been written about self-compassion, so I went to the source. Um, You know, my tradition comes more from Buddhist traditions, although, of course, there's tremendous overlap. Um, And so I read every book I could get my hand on, basically, on compassion, and really thought that there were three essential elements of compassion. So the first one is the one people connect to more easily, and that's um, being kind to your, to yourself, or it's same with others, being kind to others, right? We think of kindness, the desire to alleviate suffering, this caring, open-hearted response as an essential component of compassion. But it's more than just kindness. So for instance, um, in the Buddhist tradition, Uh, the near enemy of compassion is pity. And we all know that we we hate to receive pity from other people, but we love to receive compassion. Mm -hmm. So it made me think, well, what's the difference? And um, it really goes back to what you were referring to about this interdependence. Pity, when you pity someone, when you feel sorry for them, you see them somehow as separate from yourself, as less than yourself. Um, And the same with self self-pity, right? We think it's just us who are suffering. It's a very egocentric perspective. But compassion, the Latin root actually means to suffer with. There's an essential interconnectedness in compassion. So that means that it has to entail recognition of interbeing, of interconnectedness, the idea that we're all in this together. We're all vulnerable. So I realized that that also had to be part of the definition of compassion to, to keep it from um, being pity, really. The sense of common humanity is what I call it. And then the third piece, which is, it's almost so obvious, I almost didn't think that I needed to include it first in the definition of compassion. But of course, to have compassion, again, whether it's for someone else or for ourselves, we have to be aware that suffering is present. Um, now, typically, we don't like that awareness. We either want to avoid it, not notice it, you know, shove it under the covers, or at least, or immediately go into problem-solving mode, fix it, get rid of the pain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we ignore that homeless person on the street because it's uncomfortable to look at them, we can't feel compassion for that person. Um, and the same thing with ourselves. If we ignore our sufferings, we don't want to face the pain of it, we can't give ourselves compassion. So I really feel that mindfulness is an inherent part of compassion. Mindfulness just referring to the ability to be present with whatever's happening, even when those moments are painful. And that, and that, that willingness to be present with pain is, is actually the first step necessary for our hearts to open in a compassionate response. Mm-hmm. So I really see the three main components of compassion for others or self as being um, kindness versus really harsh self-judgment. With ourselves, usually we're very judgmental. Um, common humanity versus feeling isolated, separate from others. And then mindfulness. Um, and I really contrast mindfulness this is especially relevant when we're talking about our own suffering with um, over-identification, which is really what we typically do when we, no- we notice our suffering. You know, sometimes we do notice our suffering, but we notice it in a, um, what I call an over-identified way. We run away with the dramatic storyline. We can exaggerate the perception of, this is so terrible, I failed, and therefore I am a failure. And, you know, we get lost in our thoughts about what's happening. So the mindfulness brings us back just to notice, oh, okay, a mistake happened, there's there's pain present, maybe some difficult feelings, but it doesn't define who I am. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really, um, I enjoyed your book very much, and um, I appreciated, um, you know, oftentimes authors, of course, will tell stories uh, in their book about, you know, mm-hmm. people they have worked with, and, you know, I find those, you know, sometimes they're helpful, 
helpful but not so compelling. And what I found really <laughs> compelling in your book was that you told your own story. And, yeah. um, and, and uh, you know, I imagine it wasn't that easy to do. And, you know, what I felt in it was that you were actually demonstrating that when we can learn this practice of self-compassion, and I think it does take some learning and practice, um, yeah, but, when, but when we can, there's a spacious quality that comes that allows us to be okay with who we are and the mistakes that we've made um, in our past. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really bow to you. I feel that, you, you know, you, you accomplished that in your book by being, mm-hmm. you know, very forthright about your own struggle, your own journey, what brought you to the path of learning about self-compassion and, you know, and, and what it, and what it did. Um, and because I think, you know, sometimes this, um, we feel like, um, you know, we have a natural resistance to self-compassion, to touching our own suffering, uh, and certainly mm-hmm. to the suffering of others because we feel like we'll drown if we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and yeah, and I, I and I can tell you, I definitely struggled with it. I huge part of me didn't want. I basically lay out a lot of my dirty laundry um, <laughs> in or in order to talk about the fact that you know, hey, this is how self compassion helped me own who I was and deal with it productively. Um, but 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 it was scary. But I knew that. You know, in order for people to believe me, really, I couldn't come across as this totally together self-help guru because I'm not. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a mess. I'm often a mess. But I'm a <laughs> compassionate mess. You know, mm-hmm. and that's really what we're after. So, um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, a lot of people have commented that it helped them connect because everyone has their dirty laundry, right? So it helped them, you know, feel that, okay, if she can embrace that story, well, maybe I can embrace that part of myself too and it's not going to be the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I felt, as I say, it was really a demonstration that you know, if we're able to um, practice self-compassion, then that allows us to deal with our past, with our mistakes, um, yeah, in, in a way that that helps us grow and. Um, yeah you know, helps us be able to practice self-forgiveness and forgiveness for others. And um, yeah. that was really there. I want to tell you, um, since you're approaching um, from your Buddhist um, standpoint, that I had the great blessing of um, sitting with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and asking oh. him, asking him mm-hmm. the question I imagine of all people, because I was really, really contemplating this whole thing of compassion. You know, how do I develop yeah. more compassion? That was my question, and it turned out through divine grace, as I was living in that question, I was at the Parliament of Religions in Australia, and he was there, and I was serving on the board at that time, and they said, okay, you know, some of the board members are going to go, you know, sit with His Holiness, and and Ellen, you can ask him any question you want. <laughs> can you imagine? So yeah, I no, so no. I asked him, you know, how do we develop uh, compassion? And he said, you know, for for that group, which was religious and spiritual leaders, he said, um, you know, one, you have to have unity. And, yeah. you know, he, he meant, of course, within the group that we're with, you know, all the different uh, elements of religious traditions. But, you know, he mm-hmm. also meant, you know, unity, I, I think he meant anyway, unity with all of life and unity within ourselves, you know. So mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. interconnection as you, as you described, yeah. you know, this interconnectedness of all life. And then he said, um, and you have to educate for compassion. Um, you know, mm. which is the, which is the work that you're doing, Kristen, you know, which is, you know, okay, you know, we've learned how to be self-critical. You know, we've yeah. learned this path of, you know, um, trying to lead with self-esteem. And I think in the second half of the program, we'll, let's get into talking about that because you do a wonderful job of that. So we said you have to have unity, you have to educate um, for compassion. And then he also said, and you need to take your religious traditions, your religious spiritual traditions more seriously. <laughs> So those are three really, really good um, 
pieces yeah. of, of advice. Um, yeah. I'm assuming us. he meant the core of the teachings, not like the name of the teachings, right? In the way you take it less seriously in the name, but more seriously in terms of the actual teachings. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. because because it's there, you know, this practice yes. of compassion is is there, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, we don't necessarily take it that seriously, and I was saying in the, in yeah. the yoga tradition, it's actually the foundation for all the other practices, mm. it's, it's the, it's the mm-hmm. first step, ahimsa is the very mm. first step, and I, you know, I think it's a lifelong practice, don't you, don't you find that every day you're kind of having to do it some more? <laughs> yes, well, and we can talk about that in a bit, babe, because it goes against other habitual tendencies of the mind, but it's, it's also part of the brain, it's part of our mind, but our compassionate reaction is actually slower to come online than our uh, fight-or-flight response, which mm-hmm. is where the attack of others or ourselves comes in. So both are natural responses, but one gets triggered more quickly, so we have to, we have to practice a little bit more. But I, but I don't know if you've read this study. You just, just uh, you might appreciate this. There was a study done of Kripalu yoga. I think a year long training. And one of the biggest um, outcomes of the yoga training was increased self compassion. So mm-hmm. there's actually empirical evidence to support what you're saying that it's really oh. key to uh, oh. the tradition of yoga, and that's one of the things ways it helps. That yeah. is wonderful. You know, yeah. like for me, you know, I'll, I'll send my... send you the study if you want, yeah. I, w- I would love that. Thank you so yeah. much. I, I would appreciate that. That That is always grand to be able to point to, you know, for me, I'm yeah. just sort of pointing to my own life and, um, yeah. you know, my own experience of, you know, growing in um, awareness and what it's like to see, you know, um, it's beautiful to hear you describe, you know, those two functions are online with the brain and, um you yeah. know, our tendency towards criticism or judgment or anger is is quicker, right, than than the compassionate response. So we're going to go to the break right now, and I feel, uh, Dr. Neff, like we're just getting started, and uh, so we'll have a little longer time after the break um, to talk about how we really... Uh, go about developing this self-compassion and in particular I'm I'm really interested to talk to you about the trend that we've had for so many years to develop self-esteem and uh, yeah. what that does to our ability to have self-compassion. You're listening to the Yoga Hour and our guest today is Dr. Kristen Neff, Associate Professor in Human Development at the University of Texas at Austin. She's the author of a wonderful book, Self-Compassion, the proven power of being kind to yourself and you can find out more about her at her website self-compassion.org we'll be right back with you As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. I will leave this world as it is. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to The Yoga Hour. 
Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and my guest today is Dr. Kristen Neff. She's Associate Professor in Human Development at the University of Texas at Austin, where they're having thunderstorms right now, and uh, author of the book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. And um, in her book, you know, she, she describes her research um, about compassion, um, which is, is deep and, uh, it's wonderful to have that quality of research so we can look and understand what's happening in the brain. But the book is, is, um, besides having that wonderful research, it's really quite user friendly. So she has, as I mentioned in the beginning, her own story, the story of others, and then each chapter has some exercises. Um, if you're looking at how to develop this for yourself, so each chapter has um, some ways that you, that you can begin to explore um, for yourself. Um, Dr. Neff, before the break, I was talking about um, being interested in what you uncovered about um Self-esteem versus self-compassion. So, you know, we've had, uh, in the, in the West in particular, a, a long history of, um, you know, lifting up self-esteem, you know, and how important that we have, uh, self-esteem. And, uh, I live in California and of course in California we even had a whole movement in our schools for self-esteem and, and now, you know, we're just not sure that that worked out so well, you know, with every child um, getting a prize um, just because they're there. So um, tell, tell us about how that is fraught with difficulty. Yeah, so I actually did a choose a postdoctoral study before I decided to research self-compassion with a self-concept research. You looked at self-esteem, and there was actually kind of a, a backlash against self-esteem. Now, just to say, there's nothing wrong with having high self-esteem, okay? So we know that the reason people are interested is we know people with high self-esteem who feel worthy um, compared to people with low self-esteem who feel worthless and hate themselves. They have much better psychological well-being. They're less anxious. They're less depressed. Um, if self-esteem is low enough, it may even lead people to, you know, think about suicide. So there's a real reason we are so concerned with self-esteem. The problem is not whether or not you have high self-esteem is how you go about getting it. Um, most people have pretty unhealthy ways of trying to have high self-esteem, which, which I'm actually using that term just to mean a, a positive judgment of self-worth, like an evaluation that I'm a good person versus a bad person, hopefully a very good person versus a very bad person. Um, and, and so the problem basically, well, at, at its core, if you think about what it takes to feel self-esteem, uh, especially in American culture, we have to feel special and above average. You know, if someone said, you know, hey, Alan, your show, it's average, you'd be upset. If you told me my work was average, I'd be upset. <laughs> it's not okay to be average, right? This is a natural human reaction. But what that means is basically our self-esteem is predicated on a logical impossibility because it is impossible by definition for us all to be above average at the same time. <laughs> so what this sets up is this this process of constant social comparison. You know, is he more successful than I am? Is she thinner than I am? You know, how do I stack up to this person or that person? And, and what can happen is that there can really be some, we kind of discovered in science, some negative consequences to trying to feel good about ourselves by feeling better than others. For instance, one of the, Outgrowth of the self-esteem movement in the schools was a narcissism epidemic. Um, some researchers have been tracking the narcissism levels of college undergraduates for the past 25 years, and they found that they were the highest levels ever recorded, and they directly mm-hmm. tied that to all those kids, you know, but, but well-meaning parents and teachers trying to raise the self-esteem of children, but if you don't have much to go on, you just internalize that as, well, that means I'm actually better than everyone else, right? Right, um, and, and also, I have a, I, and you, you may run into this too, you know, I have a friend uh, who's a college professor here, and one of the things he sees, and I, I would guess that it's an outcome of this, what you call narcissism epidemic, um, is that there's a great sense of entitlement that, that 
these young people have that, you know, somehow they deserve an A um, when they haven't done the work. And they actually get in arguments with their professors that the professor, the professor is wrong and they're going to, you know, give the professor a bad rating on online um, because they've given them a lower grade. And um, that's amazing. Yeah, and you know, I've uh, you know all my colleagues, I've experienced that, and and so you know, it's hard to say exactly the cause, but certainly I think that's part of it. That because it's not okay to get a C, you know, mm-hmm. you have to be. It, it's not okay to get an A minus. Somehow that means that I'm not okay. So this mm-hmm. this whole pressure to be number one gets taken very seriously. Um, and then other things, like for instance, they've 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 realized that a big um, reason why kids bully other kids is to get high self-esteem, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why, do, why does the early adolescent, who doesn't have much to base their self-worth on, pick on that nerdy kid in the corner? Because mm-hmm. they get a self-esteem boost by feeling better than that kid. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's a nasty consequence. And then the other, the other big problem I really see with self-esteem is that it's contingent. In other words, we only have self-esteem when we succeed. But what happens when we fail? Right, what we really need to feel good about ourselves, our self-esteem is dependent on success, and it deserts us when we fail. So our sense of self-worth goes up and down depending on our fame, latest um, success or failure. You know, I, I like to call self-esteem a fair-weather friend. <laughs> Only exactly. there for us when times yeah. are good. Yeah. And so self-compassion, you know, self-compassion, the reason I'm so passionate about it is it offers all the same mental health benefits as self-esteem. It's also linked to less depression, less anxiety, greater happiness, greater mental health. But it's, the way we get self-compassion is not by being better than others, and it's not by being successful. Self-compassion, all you need to do is embrace your human imperfection with kindness that's mm-hmm. where your sense of self worth comes from because I'm a I'm a I'm a human mess like everyone else and let's let's just love it the way it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's much more stable, it's linked to a much more stable sense of self worth, it's less contingent, it's not linked to narcissism the way self esteem is. It's not linked to social comparison. So it just seems from my point of view to be a much more stable, healthy source mm-hmm. of of value and worth. I would agree, and I and I think people do come up with the question, though, of, uh, and I know you address this in your book. You know, if mm-hmm. you know, if I accept myself as I am, and I'm a mess, um, I'm yes. never gonna, I'm never gonna get any better. You know, so I, I need to criticize myself in order to keep yes. myself going, in order to, in order to grow, um, in order to succeed. So tell us, yes. you know, tell us about that. Yeah, that's actually one of the number one fears that prevent people from being self-compassionate. They really think they need harsh self-criticism to motivate themselves to change. So when you think about the self-acceptance of self-compassion, it's useful, I think, to use the analogy of a parent. You know, a parent, at the end of the day, the bottom line is they love their child unconditionally. You know, that's the bottom line of loving your child. But if, you, if, you're, if you're a compassionate parent, you don't want your child to suffer. You want the best for your child. So you encourage them, you nurture them. If your child's engaging in a behavior that's harmful, you, you know, you're going to try to help the child change that behavior because that, that behavior is causing your child suffering. So a compassionate parent doesn't say, oh, little Johnny, yeah, you, you know, you skipped school and you ate five Snickers bars for dinner, and oh, that's okay because I love you anyway, right? Mm-hmm. A compassionate parent says, well, I do love you anyway, but I also want you to stop engaging in unhealthy behaviors. I want you to reach your full potential. And so, again, the, the research now shows pretty unequivocally that, that self-compassion is actually a better motivator than self-criticism. If you care about yourself and you don't want to suffer, you're also going to take care of yourself, take care of your body. You know, people are self-compassionate. They go to the doctor more. They eat better. They don't overeat. Um, but the, the biggest gift self-compassion gives you in terms of motivation is it means you aren't afraid to fail. So what happens if you're a habitual self-critic? is what happens when you fail is you criticize yourself and then it becomes too scary even to try again. Oh, I don't want to risk that one, you know, because I'll, I'll pummel myself if I don't succeed. Self-compassionate people have to get the gift of making it safe to fail because it's so okay. I'll self-compassion. I know I'm human. And then what that means is they're less afraid of failure. 
they have less performance anxiety. When they do fail, they're less upset, less derailed by failure, and they're more likely to pick themselves up and try again and to keep trying. Mm. So, you know, again, if you think of a compassionate coach or a compassionate parent, we know these strategies work. But for some reason with ourselves, we still believe in, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Several years behind in terms of how we parent ourselves, you might say. Yeah, Yeah, and I and I think that um, you know uh, that so many of us are, um, of course, initially have to overcome uh, negative parent uh, messages, Um, and so in in which we've internalized the the critic. You know, there's some parenting styles that you know were about, of course, love for the child, but you know, keeping the child safe. You know, by By criticism, you know, and I, I grew up with a father, you know, one of those parents who, you know, well, why did you get the B? <laughs> you know, yeah. why not an A? Why not an A? You know, and his yeah. and his way of trying to motivate me was, you yeah. know, through um, through criticizing, through you know, what I did was was never enough um, yeah. because he he you know that was his own way he treated himself and he felt that that would you know support me in getting ahead and and certainly it has in in some ways but but that also carries you know such a terrible price of you know you yeah. wear you wear yourself out you know with that one so yeah. you know to share a little bit about how you see people can begin to overcome those internalized messages of self uh, criticism mm-hmm. Yes, well, and I, I think you, you point to a very important fact, which is um, just like a, your father, and it's great you can recognize it back. He, he was criticizing you because he wanted you to be safe. He wanted you, you know, to be healthy and to be successful. It's the same with our own self-criticism. So self-criticism is actually a response to threat. So if we fail or we make a mistake or we feel inadequate, we feel, you know, we don't look the way we want, we actually at some level are frightened that we'll be rejected by others, we won't be loved, we won't be safe in some way. And so we go into fight or flight mode. So, um, you know, fight or flight mode is our our most basic, quickly triggered response to any sort of threat. Um, And the the system evolved, you know, like a threat to our bodily selves with the lions chasing you, you want to be in fight or flight mode. But what happens is the same system gets triggered when our self-concept is threatened, when we fail, when we make a mistake. So we attack the problem, but the problem is ourselves. So we think that by criticizing ourselves and fighting ourselves, we're going to keep ourselves in line and keep ourselves safe. And, you know, the thing is, it does kind of work. We wouldn't do it if it didn't work at all. But as you say, it carries a terrible price. The biggest price being it doesn't put us in an optimal mindset to do our best. It often puts us in a very, it makes it harder to succeed because we're full of self-doubt and anxiety and, you know, we lose our self-confidence. But we also, um, there's another way to keep ourselves safe, and that's through the whole tendon of friend response, the compassion response. Um, as mammals, right, we also have this way of keeping our young safe, and that's by, you know, giving them warmth and nurturing and care. And that's also part of our physiology. So when we use our compassion system to keep ourselves safe, if we want to do well, not because we aren't good enough, because we care about ourselves and want the best for ourselves, that's also a very powerful motivator. And it's a much more effective motivator in the long run because it gives you the self-confidence, the support, and the encouragement you need to succeed. So, you know, people just, I think once they start looking at it closely, they can see it more clearly. Like, compassion doesn't mean, oh, whatever you do is fine. Compassion means constructive criticism as opposed to destructive, belittling criticism. And we all know from experience that constructive criticism is just much more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and in, in you know, in in of course, I I think in in Buddhist practice and in yoga mm-hmm. practice, there's an there's an emphasis on um, equanimity and yeah. uh, you know maintaining mm-hmm. a sense of being free. 
freeing ourselves yeah. from um, praise or blame and like getting yeah. out of that system altogether. Like we just opt yeah. out, <laughs> opt out of that yeah. system of, of right. praise or, or blame. But, you know, I, I've been practicing for many years and, um, you know, I find that the, that there's still, you know, traces of that, you know, I can find myself, um, you know, sometimes craving <laughs> praise. It's like, you know, just, just give me a little, little, uh, you know, support. Mm-hmm. Will you, you know, I find myself in, and I think, um, and of course, you know, you know, it feels like we, Sometimes we can feel like we have equanimity when we get praise, right? But when we get blame, I blamed, and, and then then I think that's telling about you know where our practice of equanimity is is at. So, um, the equanimity is only one of the factors. Just just to say, I mean, I I find sometimes people with a serious spiritual practice, they almost get the idea that they aren't supposed to want praise are not supposed mm-hmm. to be affected by praise. This is part of the fundamental nature of being human. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. This is, this, there's, a, there's a, um, a biological urgency to this in addition to just, you know, that's part of being a social human being. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. Of course we want praise rather than blame. So we need to have equanimity so that we aren't overrun by these tendencies of wanting yeah. to avoid blame, praise. But also, you know, there is love in all the spiritual traditions. Love is at its core. So it's not so much that we don't care about being loved. We just find it from slightly different sources, right? Mm-hmm. And love, we know, is a tremendous, uh, powerful motivator for not only accepting our weaknesses and our misfortunes, but also motivating a healthy change because we care. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all there. It's just, it's just... It's more of an internal source of this as opposed to the Mm -hmm. external source. Exactly. And yeah, and I think that, you know, when I find myself, you know, wanting someone else to give me, um, praise or, you know, love, it's, it's because my self care (laughs) is, is, is lacking, you know. And so, uh, that tendency, like you say, we all want that and it's part of being human. It's part of being alive. But, um, I think that perhaps this points back to how important it is that we have, um, you know, good self-care, you know, that we're taking good care of ourselves so that we can have that, that locus of love, you know, internally. And then, you know, it, it's nice to receive that kind of support from others, but we don't have to depend on it and we don't have to go That's seeking right. it, you know, so, That's right. um, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah, so, um, <clears throat> You know, what would you tell somebody who, you know, is, is just becoming aware of how self-critical they are? You know, oftentimes, you know, when we start a spiritual practice like yoga, we start to meditate, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we start to practice. Yes. And, um, one of the first things we discover is, um, you know, how much self-hatred we have. So yeah. uh, how, how would you advise someone who is just discovering, oh my gosh, you know, I've met the enemy and it's me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I, actually, believe it or not, I think the first step is having compassion for your self-criticism. In other words, we don't want to beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up because if we remember that actually, oh, this is the way I've been trying to keep myself safe, we don't have to judge ourselves for it. We just want to find a new, more mature, constructive way to keep ourselves safe. But you just, just first of all, just say, okay, wow, this is the way I've tried to keep myself safe. Thank you. Thank you, inner critic. Um, I appreciate your hard work. <laughs> but maybe we can, we can search around for some other alternatives, right? So that's the first thing. Have compassion for this when you discover how you know, often full of self-hate our minds are. That it's just natural. You didn't choose to be that way. It's the way the mind works. And also, I like that, I was going to say, I really like that you're, you're pointing out, because I found this to be true in my own experience, that if we can see the, 
the in a in a sense the positive um, piece of it, like you know, like yeah. what what worked about it, you know, all of our life, and and why yeah. did we have it, and why was it useful, and and then it's like you're creating a bigger space in consciousness to say, you know, okay, this kind of worked, and you know, thank you, <laughs> and so yes, yes, thank you. In, in a sense, yes. you're having compassion for your own self critic, which totally yeah. disarms it, don't you think? That's right. Yeah, and it also means it doesn't have to shout so loud because it feels listened to. Mm-hmm. Oh, you get my message. Yes, there's danger here. Okay, I hear you. And then that's actually what allows the inner critic, as you say, to make some space for the other part of ourselves. Because, you know, if you look at just purely at the brain level, I mean, it's funny, all these things have correlates at the, like, spiritual, philosophical level. The idea of, you know, bodhicitta, that we have this innate Buddha nature, or this innate compassionate nature. You know, if, if you want to just be purely neuroscientific about it, we also have an innate tender and friend response. You know, the human brain is designed to criticize. Um, it's actually the, the core function of the brain is to look for problems. It's a negative threat focused thing. We also have this evolved capacity to have compassion. It's also part of our nature. It's just a little more slow comes out a little more slowly online. So this is also a part of ourselves. We just have to be more a little intentional to get out of the grip of the inner critic, make some space to access this more uh, equally natural part of ourselves, the compassion itself. And so oftentimes people, uh, most people, you know, people vary, but have some experience with being compassionate to others. Right, maybe mm-hmm. a relative or a, or a partner or a good friend you have, and you know what it feels like when you experience compassion. Most people have some sense of, you know, what what types of things to say to show support and encouragement to someone when they're suffering in some way. What tone of voice do you use? Most of us do have experience with that with others. So I often say, if you're not used to being this way to yourself, and many of us aren't, go, go there think, you know, well, what would I say to a, a, a dearly loved friend who was having the exact same issue Maddie? Mm-hmm. you know, and then that, that's often we can, we can build on the resources we've built in relationship to others and then try to apply that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to know that it will feel awkward at first. And it may go slowly. People have different blocks based on their family history um, to how quickly this process can go. But even people with, you know, really traumatic backgrounds, and it, it is harder, you know, the, the, the threat response is more deeply ingrained in the physiology. Um, actually, some people are even afraid of being self-compassionate because, um, you know, they've had to close their hearts to themselves mm-hmm. are very good reasons to keep themselves safe, and it can be scary to try this new, more open-hearted way of being. Mm-hmm. But just to mm-hmm. know that if you have patience and just keep planting those seeds and keep watering those seeds, just know that eventually the seeds will grow. It may be slower than we would like, mm-hmm. but it's really it's, it's self-compassion is and a practice of intention, as you know, with yoga, intention is key. Mm-hmm. So just setting our intention to be kinder to ourselves and keeping renewing that intention. Eventually, um, you know, it, it, it starts to take fruit and we can develop habits. Um, mm. And I've been amazed because I've taught thousands of people now in my workshops how to be more self-compassionate. I've been amazed by, in some ways, the transformation happens more quickly and easily than you think. I'm not going to say it's easy. It can be difficult. Mm-hmm. It can be scary, all of those things. And for some people, they struggle. But most people get through somehow. Um, yeah, so and I'm, I'm I'm looking at the the subtitle to your book. You know, the proven mm-hmm. power of being kind to yourself. You know, uh, and I have met um, <clears throat> some young people. You know, who have been you know really had difficult lives and have been involved even in gang activity, and so they're so armored, and um, they you know have felt that even you know meditating, you know, opening at that deeper level would disarm them, and then they would be vulnerable to threat. And uh, so I think that when we talk about self-compassion, that is such an important element to lift up that actually, you know, we become more powerful human beings. Um, we're, 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 you know, better able to access um, 
a response of strength um, in the moment than, you know, react out of weakness. And um, so that's a really important uh, element to, to point to, that being um, self-compassionate, uh, compassionate for others, doesn't make us necessarily soft in the way that we would think of it as weakness, but there's a power in it um, that is a great power because that's the power of the self the higher self as as we would say in in yoga and and, yeah. I, and i'm sure you've seen that in your workshops you know with people who are you know afraid of disarming and uh yes. and yet find uh, this greater greater power through self-compassion i mean it, it's funny because people really you know do have this great fear that they will be weak if they're self-compassionate and then you frame it as when you go into battle, do you want to be an inner ally or an inner enemy? And it becomes very clear. <laughs> you know, do you want someone, your, in, your inner self, to have your own back? You call it your higher power or whatever you want, or someone who's cutting you down and trying to trip you up at every step. Um, and what's amazing now is there's so much research. For instance, there was research of um, veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Those soldiers who are naturally more self-compassionate, they were less likely to have PTSD. And actually how self-compassionate they are was a more powerful predictor of whether or not they developed PTSD than, than the level of combat they faced. So, you know, it's not weak. It's actually it's turning out to be one of the strongest sources of, of coping and resilience we have available to us. Mm, um, that is yeah. that is wonderful to think about yeah. these young people and um, you know giving them that skills which you know it's it just seems uh, counterintuitive doesn't it you know in terms of the warrior um, that you yeah. would think of a warrior as having to be uh, armored uh, in order to have self protection but here in the most difficult uh, of situations you know you're pointing yeah. out that you know those who who have uh, an open heart. Have have a better ability to actually um, survive and um, protect themselves uh, in, a, right. in you know in a different way. relies on his, yeah sorry a soldier relies on his friends on his allies. You got to have the people with you having your back, mm-hmm. and we can think of ourselves as we need to have our own back as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what self compassion is for people who don't like the word. You can just call it having your own back. You know <laughs> that <laughs> well, is. Yeah, that is totally powerful, Kristen. I really appreciate it. That's like a gift, a little, you know, gem here at the end of our conversation, which has been, which has been filled with gems. You know, we, we work, uh, with a meditation, taking meditation into the schools, into schools where they're really having some difficulties, um, you know, with gang activity and so forth, and even into the prisons. And I think your way of, you know, thinking of self-compassion as having your own back um, is just ingenious. You know, that will be something that that will be really supportive of that work. We're going to uh, conclude in just a moment here, and I, I would love for you to have the last word, um, just something brief to encourage people um, on this path of self-compassion. What is the last word you'd like to leave with us today? Yeah, well, just to say that um, even if you have some doubts or misgivings, give it a try because it really, really can transform your life. And it's actually easier than you think. You know how to be kind. You know how to be compassionate. You just got to try a new a new target of your compassion, and mm-hmm. that's yourself. Um, mm. you know, so. Thank you so much, Dr. Kristen Neff, uh, author of a wonderful book, um, self-compassion the proven power of being kind to yourself and uh, you can order that book of course uh, through uh, amazon and uh, you can find out more about her work at self uh, self-compassion.org and uh, i want to let you know that next week we're going to um, run again a fabulous program that we did sometime back called Rasayana Elixirs of Rejuvenation for Women's Wellness. Um, and I'm joined in that uh, conversation by Acharya Pratichi Mathur, founder and director of Vedika Global. And uh, we're looking at timeless wisdom, lifestyle practices, and spiritual contemplations 
that are particularly supportive of women's wellness. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Uh, to find out more about uh, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, please visit our website, csecenter.org. That's csecenter.org. And uh, my great uh, thanks, my pranams uh, to Unity Online Radio, including, of course, Jeff Comfort, our sound engineer, who's uh, there in the sound booth supporting us today, and our Yoga Hour team at CSE producer and regular guest host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo, Anita Kenyon, and Reverend Ann Hayes. I want to remind you, if you're not already a subscriber uh, to the Yoga Hour, you can do that easily at iTunes um, for free downloads of all the programs. Please tell your friends all around the world about this program. I look forward uh, to being with you again soon. And remember to let your self-compassion your inner light shine into the world share your peace and your joy with everyone that you meet again uh, Dr. Kristen Neff thank you so much for being with us today thank you so much for having me I really enjoyed it thank you many blessings to all bye now bye thank you for tuning in to the yoga hour living the eternal way with yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Sometimes life can seem like a jigsaw puzzle. Even if we think we have a clear picture of what we want, we may become overwhelmed in our efforts to fit all the pieces together. Although each of our lives may look different on the outside, what we are all striving to create is the same, peace of mind. We mistakenly think that peace will be ours once we have fit all the pieces of our lives into place. But peace isn't dependent on outer circumstances, and it's not something that must be finished. It's a work in progress within each of us. If I want to picture peace clearly, I look within myself. The peace I've been missing is there. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit. Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 